And now, Lindell TV brings you The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome, I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. First of all, let me wish you a happy Columbus Day, uh, and a particular shout out uh, to my friends uh, Andrew Giuliani, Mike Crispy, uh, John Tobacco, uh, and Paul Inglesia, who are representing the Italian American Civil Rights League in the Columbus Day Parade in New York City. The uh, Italian American Civil Rights League is a new nonprofit organization that has been set up for the purposes uh, of fighting to defend Italian American culture and heritage. There are discussions going on in New York City uh, and in other metropolitan areas about removing statues of Christopher Columbus. We've already changed the name of today's federal holiday, which was originally known as Columbus Day, to Indigenous Peoples Day. So uh, I want to salute uh, my friends uh, in the Italian-American Civil Rights League and also put up the email address where you can go to determine whether you want to join this nonprofit civil rights organization. Let me say that nobody involved is compensated. Uh, this is a nonprofit organization uh, that will do both charitable and, in some cases, legal work to protect Italian American heritage and to fight anti Italian American uh, discrimination. Let's put that website up one more time here in a second. There you go. The Italian-American Civil Rights League, uh, which is incorporated in New Jersey, uh, will be completely and totally transparent. Uh, everybody involved is involved in a, a voluntary capacity. Uh, and um, the initial founding members were very excited about marching in today's parade. Uh, we might even have a, a photograph of them there somewhere. Let's see. Great video there. All right. Um, we will we will move on. it. Uh, anyway, a salute to my good friends. I very much wish that I was with them uh, in New York. Check out uh, the uh, website when you get a chance. Uh, today, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, made his candidacy as an independent uh, formal. Uh, if you have been following it, I predicted this back on September 24th uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, also on Truth Social. This is not because I have any particular knowledge. You will see uh, all over X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, this baseless claim that I 
am somehow an advisor to Robert Kennedy or that I urged him to run for president or that he is uh, fronting uh, for the right wing or other nonsensical left-wing conspiracy theories. Uh, I met Robert Kennedy once at a conference. Uh, he was very cordial, uh, but um, we are not close friends, uh, and I am 100% behind the candidacy of uh, Donald Trump. I am, however, a political scientist uh, and a veteran of 13 national presidential campaigns, and I am a political animal, meaning I'm fascinated about politics. I think uh, Robert Kennedy is an exceptional candidate in the sense that he's extraordinarily well-spoken. Uh, he uses uh, very positive, uplifting, and unifying language. Uh, there are some issues on which I agree with him, for example, sealing our southern border uh, or uh, health freedom. Uh, or uh, his skepticism about the war in Ukraine. Yet there are other issues, uh, such as abortion, uh, where I strongly disagree with him. Or, for example, uh, uh, climate change, which uh, he believes is a real problem and, well, I believe is a hoax. Uh, here is the point, of course, and that is I thought that when he was in the Democratic nominating process, uh, he represented a very positive force, that being uh, an alternative to today's modern socialist-tinged Democratic Party. Uh, in all honesty, I never thought that he would be given uh, a, a fair shot at that party's nomination. I thought from the beginning uh, that he would be the subject of both a media blackout uh, and a uh, manipulation of the rules to benefit the candidate of the Democratic Party establishment. And therefore, I thought it was only a matter of time before he figured out that he would never be given a fair chance to compete uh, in the party of his uncle, President uh, John F. Kennedy, or his father, New York Senator Robert Kennedy. Uh, that time has now come. And he announced today that he would be running as an independent. We have a short clip. Let's take a look at that. At hotels and malls on the street. And they remind me that this country is ready for a history-making change. They're ready. They are ready to reclaim their freedom, their independence. And that's why I'm here today. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. Now, if I were an advanced man, I would be furious at the supporter who held their sign in such a way to block the clear camera shot, but we did want to bring you uh, some taste of the enthusiasm uh, of that occasion. Uh, it's very important to note uh, that uh, the laws governing getting on the ballot uh, as an independent or even as a third party candidate, a minor party candidate, 
uh, are written by Republicans and Democrats working together to try to eliminate the competition. Uh, and therefore, one does not just wave a wand and say, well, I'm an independent. The uh, ballot access laws are 50 individual state laws, uh, and they range uh, in complexity from the simple, paying a filing fee, uh, to the extremely complex, requiring a certain number of signatures with a distribution within a certain number of congressional districts uh, within a state uh, and doing so within a prescribed but relatively short period of time. Uh, it is an extraordinarily difficult task, uh, even for a campaign that has spent a year or more preparing for it. Uh, some may say, well, Ross Perot was successful in doing it. Yes, but Ross Perot spent in excess of $100 million of his own money. So uh, the process uh, is extraordinarily uh, expensive, uh, is extraordinarily labor intensive. Uh, it is extraordinarily arcane. Uh, the laws are written uh, to uh, trip you up uh, and Traditionally, at least in the case of both uh, the Green Party uh, and the Libertarian Party, the Republicans and the Democrats have had no qualms whatsoever about challenging uh, the petitions uh, or otherwise trying to poke holes uh, in the nominating process for independence. Therefore, uh, a prolonged discussion uh, of where Robert Kennedy's support will come from, in, a, in some ways, is a premature. Uh, the best thing about Robert Kennedy, as I said earlier, is him. He is an excellent candidate in terms of his energy, uh, in terms of his vigor, uh, in terms of his uplifting uh, rhetoric. Uh, I do think that the current polls, uh, which I think are preliminary, uh, which show that he draws a uh, a uh, disproportionate amount of his votes uh, from Donald Trump uh, could be a bit misleading. There is a Zogby poll. Let's uh, put that up, uh, if we may. Uh, this is a poll that is important to note was commissioned by a super PAC that supports Robert Kennedy. Uh, and as you can see, based at least on this sample, which, by the way, at a thousand uh, likely voters, likely general election voters, is a very sizable sample, uh, and uh, Zog Zogby is a credible pollster, uh, shows uh, that uh, Robert Kennedy actually runs stronger uh, than an unnamed generic independent candidate. In other words, the independent candidate gets 17, uh, where Robert Kennedy would get 19. That's very rare, almost unheard of, uh, and based at least on this preliminary data, uh, it would appear that a disproportionate number of Kennedy's votes uh, come from Trump. Now, it cannot be said uh, that uh, in the case of independent or third-party candidacies, that 100% of their vote uh, necessarily comes from either Republicans or Democrats. What we have seen in the past is that in most cases, about half of their vote comes uh, from people who would otherwise not have voted for 
any other candidate. In this case, people who are motivated to vote specifically for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and therefore, this idea that all these votes come from the right or the left, or that all of them come from Republicans or Democrats, uh, it's uh, premature to say that. I also think that uh, when you look, uh, for example, at the Rasmussen poll, uh, that Robert Kennedy has always enjoyed higher uh, approval rating among Republicans at 56 uh, than among Democrats at 41 or among independents at 49. This may be because of the mainstream media blackout uh, of Robert Kennedy's campaign. Uh, when he does get on the major networks, which is rarely, or the major news, uh, cable news networks, uh, his remarks are sharply censored if they are shown at all. Therefore, uh, Robert Kennedy has, I think, very creatively availed himself of media outlets uh, that are disproportionately seen and heard on the right. Uh, that could explain, to some extent, why he is uh, better known uh, among conservative voters. Also may explain uh, the numbers we just showed you. Uh, one poll does not a trend make, uh, and uh, how this unfolds remains to be seen. First, as I said, is the question of whether Robert Kennedy gets on the ballot in 270 electoral uh states, pardon me, uh, that represent 270 electoral votes, in which case he could at least theoretically win. Uh, then the second question will be, um, uh, would be ma more manifest. Uh, it really becomes a question of how he is able to spend uh, what money he can raise. It is uh, extraordinarily expensive to run for president. Uh, his fundraising, based on the public reports that I have read so far, has been relatively uh, impressive. There are several pro-Kennedy super PACs. Uh, one in particular has raised a substantial amount of money. Uh, but whether any of that money is spent effectively, well, that also remains to be seen. Uh, America experienced their last viable independent candidacy, uh, under Ross Perot. Actually, Ross Perot ended up forming a party called the Reform Party, uh, and the party was around for three cycles. Uh, he ran in 1992, but then uh, he withdrew his candidacy at a time when he was getting almost a third of the vote, which speaks to the basic dissatisfaction in 1992 uh, among both, uh, about both Republicans uh, and Democrats. He then voted back into the 92 race after first withdrawing, but the bloom was off the rose. It is also important to note that he was the last independent candidate to participate in the presidential debates. Uh, and this, uh, if he can get on the ballot, could represent the single greatest challenge to a Kennedy candidacy. You see, the Presidential Commission on Debates, uh, while it's not appointed by the president, uh, it is not a commission, and it is most definitely not about debate. In fact, it's about limiting debate. Uh, it's certainly about limiting debate uh, to the two major party candidates. 
In fact, the co-chairs of the Republican, uh, pardon me, of the Presidential Commission on Debates are the chairpersons of the Republican and Democratic Party. Uh, and therefore, an artificial measure is used to determine who should be in those debates. It's not based on who's uh, legally potentially able to garner 270 electoral votes, in other words, who gets on the ballot in enough states to be theoretically viable, which I have long thought would be the fairest measure of who should be in the debates, since that is no small task. But it is based on an artificial uh, floor uh, that is set by the uh, commission itself, which says if you don't achieve a certain level of votes in the polls, well, then you can't be in the debates. So in other words, what you have is a chicken and egg situation. Uh, you can't be in the debates because you don't have enough votes and you can't get enough votes because, well, you can't get into the debates. Robert Kennedy would be a formidable debater. He's a no Donald Trump in that regard. I guess if I were a Democrat right now, I'd be very worried about Joe Biden's ability to debate. But then once again, uh, as I've said on this program, as well as on my WABC radio show on the weekends, I'm still not convinced that Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. Something very strange happened this past weekend. Uh, where Michelle Obama spoke uh, at a uh, an event uh, in Nantucket, Massachusetts, um, was and she is quoted as saying that she was deeply concerned about the possibility of Donald Trump returning to the White House. Uh, and that story, which was online, came down very quickly and has never been put back up. I find that extraordinarily curious. Uh, I stand by my uh, prediction. Uh, which I made at Turning Point USA in their uh, conference not long ago, uh, that ultimately the Democratic Party uh, will recognize the non-viability of Joe Biden uh, and that they would nominate a ticket uh, of Michelle Obama for president uh, and Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, for vice president. Uh, I could recap all the reasons why I still think that is the case, uh, but... Um, We've already been there, and perhaps we'll do it in yet another show. Uh, I do think uh, that the the war that has broken out in Israel actually increases uh, the chances of that happening. Um, the uh, the war in Israel, or I should say, these attacks in Israel by Hamas uh, on civilians are horrific, uh, and it's not incidental uh, that this happens almost 50 years to the day uh, of the attack on Israel uh, by Syria uh, and Egyptia, uh, Egypt uh, in the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Uh, it was in that war that President Richard Nixon, uh, when the uh, Israelis were caught uh, by surprise and literally had their backs against the sea uh, and were essentially out of ammunition, uh, President Nixon airdropped $36 million worth of lethal aid uh, to the Israelis, literally saving Israel from annihilation. Uh, I would point out that he did this over the objections of his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, uh, and over the objections of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in fact, over the objections 
of his entire foreign policy apparatus. Uh, it may have been among Nixon's greatest moments, at least Golda Meir said it was. Uh, and here we are again. What's particularly disturbing uh, in this conflict, other than the horrific uh, loss of life of elderly people, children, women, and so on, it's like you don't want to watch it, but you can't pull your eyes away from the screen, uh, is the fact that um, I still believe that the Biden administration made this possible. Uh, the argument that the $6 billion that was unfrozen from Iran was not used in this tax uh, is absurd because money is, of course, fungible. Uh, and that Iran finances Hamas is not a secret. But the greater concern that all Americans must share uh, is uh, the fact that our border, border has now been open for some time and the probability uh, that Hamas or other radical terrorist groups uh, have gotten people into this country, indeed that we may in fact have terrorist cells among us, well, that's a very scary thought. I think it is only a matter of time that there are violent attacks against American citizens. I pray in this case uh, that I am wrong. Uh, this uh, past uh, weekend, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, flatly predicted that he would win the Iowa caucuses. Uh, I don't know what he's smoking, but I want some of it. Um, here is a, a clip uh, that I uh, of an interview I gave uh, to Jack Posobiec of Human Events on this very topic. The point, of course, is that Governor Ron DeSantis, as I predicted some months ago, is essentially out of money. Uh, let's roll that clip. Republican presidential strategist and political strategist Roger Stone. Roger, you were here on Human Events Daily a couple of months ago, and you told us, and and you were you were you got some pushback and some criticism for this statement when you said that Governor DeSantis's campaign would be out of money by October. So come October, he'd be out of money. I said, all right, Roger said that. He's got experience in this, but, you know, it seemed like it, it, it seemed to fly in the face of conventional wisdom because his campaign was flush with cash at the time. However, here we are, Q3, and we've got the numbers all coming in, and it shows that Governor DeSantis's campaign currently only has $5 million cash on hand for the primary. To put that in perspective for people, $5 million is a mid to low tier congressional campaign level of money. Uh, this is nowhere near the amount of money that you would need to spend for a nationwide campaign. Roger, how did you get it so right? Well, unfortunately, as you know, I am, first of all, a veteran of 13 national Republican presidential campaigns. Uh, but from the beginning, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis chose to run a front runners campaign when he was never really the front runner. Uh, and their level of spending was obscene. Uh, they were not planning for the long term. Uh, they really ran the Rolls Royce of campaigns. Uh, look, in 1976, when I was working for Ronald Reagan, there were times when Governor and Mrs. Reagan flew commercial to save money in their campaign. Uh, the DeSantis's have never flown other than in a private jet. So uh, their expectation level politically was out of control. 
their spending was out of control. And then I even factored in uh, the, uh, the layoffs, the multiple reboots, and I still recalculated that at their rate of spend, even with those reductions, they would essentially be out of, uh, out of gas, out of money uh, in October. Now they have dialed back their campaign, so they're no longer on the ground in Nevada, or no longer on the ground in New Hampshire, no longer uh, on the, the ground any place other than Iowa. They have put all their chips on Iowa, yet the latest, latest poll information uh, from Iowa continues to indicate Donald Trump has a not only a huge lead, but a growing lead. So the, the, the disciplines for Trump are quite different. The votes already exist for him to win the Iowa caucuses. All he has to do is identify them and turn them out. Today, the votes do not exist for Ron DeSantis to win the Iowa caucuses. He would first have to convert people, tell people who he is, convert them and get their commitment and get them out. I don't see it happening. Uh, this is a campaign that has been a dumpster fire from the beginning. Yeah, Roger, um, we've got a picture now. This is Ron DeSantis's event. The, he's holding a rally in Tampa right now, in Tampa, Florida. We've got someone who's there sent me a picture. Uh, this is Tampa, Florida. This is his own backyard. He's he's from the Tampa area originally. And I I can't count more than 50 people in this picture. Roger, what's going on? You're, you're out of Florida. How do you have a guy who admittedly is is you know, won on a pretty popular ticket just a few months ago? Uh, how has it gotten to this point? Well, uh, there's a, I think there's a, a lot of factors here. First of all, taking the measure of the Florida Republican presidential primary in the immediate aftermath of the gubernatorial race means that all of that paid media, television, uh, radio, cable, digital, uh, that was used to uh, push the governor's reelection was still fresh in the mind of the voters. So he actually, at one point, had a lead over President Trump. As the memory of that multi-million dollar spending has receded, and also as President Trump's campaign has been turbocharged by the tsunami of lawfare against him, completely unforeseeable, but counterintuitive, the more he is uh, attacked in the judicial system, the stronger and deeper his support grows. Donald uh, Trump has pulled out to a long lead here in the Sunshine State. Now, if I were Governor DeSantis, I would be looking for a, uh, a, a comfortable way out of this race, uh, because uh, he's not going to break through. He's not going to win this nomination. I, I must tell you, Jack, I did not think in the beginning that voters cared about things like loyalty and history uh, and the fact that Donald Trump was single-handedly responsible for the rise and election of Ron DeSantis. I thought that was kind of inside. Folks in Iowa certainly didn't know it, nor, nor folks in New Hampshire. I was completely wrong about that. Character does matter to voters in this instance. Uh, and I think just that act of treachery, that act of backstabbing has hurt the governor very badly here. Combine that with the fact that he uh, paid a million dollars to the Speaker of the House, essentially funneling it to his pack in return for a change of Florida state law that allows Ron DeSantis alone to be the only state elected official who doesn't have to resign while running for federal office. Uh, to Floridians, this whole thing began to stink some time ago. 
No, it, it, it seems that is borne out because uh, you, you've seen this again. Let us let me ask you this, and we've, we've got a couple of minutes, before, and then we'll take a break. I'd like to hold you over. Does the governor, what, what does the governor's political future look like this? Let's say he comes in second in Iowa, makes it to New Hampshire, comes in but New Hampshire, he's currently running third or fourth. So let's say the money runs out by New Hampshire. Let's say somehow by winging a prayer, he's able to stay until then, comes out of the race, whether endorses he doesn't. Where does he go after this? Well, remember, he's term limited. He's in his second term, yes. and Florida only allows a governor to serve for two terms. So he cannot run. I have predicted that his wife, Casey DeSantis, will run for governor in his stead. Uh, that will be a, that'll be a horse race. There's no presumption that she would be an automatic front runner. I think they are too uh, addicted to the money, too uh, addicted to the uh, to the acclaim, uh, too addicted to the private jets and the fancy resorts and the five star hotels. Uh, so I I stand by my prediction that she will be a candidate for governor, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's a winner. There's uh, there's no U.S. Senate race in this state. Uh, there's one this coming cycle. Rick Scott will be reelected. This one isn't until 2028. Uh, I think that the governor's done substantial damage to his political brand. And as the state has an insurance crisis, uh, and as the state has a, a utility rate crisis, and as the state has a malaria crisis, uh, there is a growing sense that the governor is MIA. Believe me, uh, they are back to pushing CRT in the public schools, uh, something he told us wasn't going to happen. Uh, the culture war here has been reignited. Uh, and uh, the governor, where's he? Why, he's in Iowa. Uh, all right. Uh, special thanks to my good friend Jack Basobic at Human Events uh, for that interview. Uh, I think it pretty much summed the situation up. Let me say one other thing about Iowa. While it is true uh, that Iowa's very popular governor, Kim Reynolds, uh, has endorsed Ron DeSantis, uh, it is a great misnomer in American politics that popularity is transferable uh, and that endorsements, uh, except for in the case of Donald Trump, ironically, uh, get people nominated. I have seen polling uh, that while people in Iowa, Republicans, particularly caucus goers, are particularly fond of, uh, of Governor Reynolds, um, her endorsement does not move them uh, to Governor DeSantis. It has actually never worked that way, with the exception of one individual, uh, a non-politician by the name of Donald Trump. Uh, in the 45 years that I have been active uh, in American politics, this is a phenomena I have never seen, uh, where the endorsement of Donald Trump can single-handedly get somebody nominated in the Republican primary. Uh, let me give you a case in point, Ron DeSantis, best case there ever was. Uh, I've never seen this phenomena before. I think it is because Trump is from outside politics uh, and because Trump's appeal, appeal greatly transcends the Republican uh, primary or the Republican uh, base. Uh, but the endorsement um, uh, by Governor Reynolds uh, does not necessarily uh, provide uh, the great leg up that perhaps some of Governor DeSantis's uh, supporters think uh, that he that it does. I also, uh, as I said uh, in that interview, 
I predicted some time ago uh, that he uh, would run out of money and we appear to be there. Uh, this is what happens when your campaign uh, relies on a small base of exceedingly wealthy donors as opposed to a large base of small and medium-sized donors who have the ability to give again and again. There is a tremendous loyalty among Trump donors, uh, and candidly, uh, his candidacy uh, is fueled by those small donors. Uh, in fact, his campaign gets a windfall every time uh, there is some politically motivated charge brought against him. Uh, so um, we have now uh, covered the waterfront on the latest uh, in the Republican uh, contest. Um, first, before we cover uh, Governor Trump, pardon me, President Trump, who's in New Hampshire today, uh, let me uh, remind you that we are brought to you by the great folks at MyPillow.com. Now, if you're watching the, the news, uh, you know uh, that Mike Lindell needs our help. Uh, they're trying to destroy Mike Lindell financially uh, because he stands on principle. He is uh, being sued uh, in a lawsuit uh, over uh, the last election uh, because he has stood by his uh, claims uh, of voter fraud or manipulation, uh, and he refuses to settle or fold. Uh, these proceedings are extremely expensive, and they would like nothing better than to shut a good man like Mike Lindell down. So, folks, we can't let that happen. Uh, and um, I myself am now fighting a subpoena from Hunter Biden's lawyers. Uh, this is lawfare. Uh, they want to know what I know about the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. That's pretty simple. I know everything I read in the New York Post. Uh, and the idea that the contents of Hunter Biden's laptops somehow passed through my hands or I knew about it prior to the publication in the New York Post, well, that's categorically false, but that doesn't stop them from uh, from uh, issuing a subpoena uh, and forcing you to spend a fortune on lawyers uh, to fight them. That's actually the whole point. So let me ask you today uh, to help uh, Mike Lindell uh, and uh, Roger Nediastone by going to MyPillow.com. That's right, MyPillow.com. Uh, Mike Lindell has never needed your help like today, um, and we candidly need your help as well. Uh, I had to laugh at the deposition that I saw recently uh, in which uh, some smart-ass left-wing lawyer accused Mike Lindell of selling lumpy pillows. I can tell you one thing about Mike Lindell, and that is he's a tyrant when it comes to the quality of everything he sells. Uh, he sells nothing uh, in the MyPillow line that he himself has not thoroughly tested and conducted a due diligence on. Uh, and now, in fact, uh, MyPillow is where you can get the greatest pillow you've ever had. That is the exciting new MyPillow 2.0. Uh, the new pillow, the first one that Mike Lindell has introduced in 25 years, uh, uses a, a patented cooling technology that keeps the pillow uh, cool to the touch uh, all night long. It's woven into the threads of the pillow. 
if you uh, have not experienced the my pillow 2.0 well now's the best time to do so because mike lindell has a special uh, and in this special you can get a four pack uh, of pillows uh, you get four of them for the low low price of 99.98 uh, this is normally a value of 259 dollars and 92 cents so uh, if ever there was a time that Mike needs and deserves our help, that day would be today. Uh, Mrs. Stone and I uh, require your help as well. Uh, please uh, go to my pillow uh, when you do use promo code STONE. Whether it is uh, the my pillow dog beds, which I've talked about ad nauseum here, or the pet blankets, or the all season slippers, or the my pillow sandals, or the uh, my pillow 2.0 which we've just talked about uh, the my pillow throw blankets the my pillow waffle blankets uh, all of these great products including the six-piece uh, bath towel set uh, the legendary uh, giza or percal uh, dream sheets uh, this is the best of the best please uh, go to my pillow now and when you do use promo code stone uh, and god will bless you for it thank you uh president donald trump uh, not uh, wasting a moment uh, is in new hampshire today uh now the way the process works is uh, iowa has its first in the nation caucuses uh then uh, they're followed by law uh, by the new hampshire primary uh, that is in followed by South Carolina, uh, which is then followed by Nevada. Nevada has just moved uh, from a primary, which is non-binding, uh, but will still take place, to caucuses, which are binding in the selection of delegates. Uh, so Donald Trump uh, is uh, putting in the time. Uh, he, he also announced uh, a future trip to Iowa, which I believe is October 16th. Uh, in 1980, uh, when I was working for Governor Ronald Reagan uh, in the uh, wide open presidential race, uh, Governor Reagan had an 18 point lead in the polls uh, over George H.W. Bush. But on caucus night, uh, we were shocked to learn uh, that because of the work uh, that George Bush had put in uh, in Iowa, um, that he emerged uh, successful. Uh, then uh, Governor Reagan crushed George H.W. Bush uh, in the New Hampshire primary, uh, and the rest was history. Uh, Donald Trump is taking uh, no such chances. Um, I have an extraordinarily high regard for his campaign manager, Chris LaCivita, one of the very best uh, mechanics uh, in the Republican Party. They are building a robust grassroots organization to turn out the vote in Iowa. Uh, but Donald Trump is putting the time into both Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, we caught up with him for a few minutes uh, in New Hampshire today. Uh, let's roll that. Former President Donald Trump also in Iowa this weekend, where he too touched on these ongoing attacks, saying they never would have happened on his watch. And of course, supporters of his in the Buckeye State are convinced of the same. 
It continues to show the incompetence of the Biden administration for releasing $6 billion to uh, Iran. I think a lot of that money was used for this attack. Well, President Trump and uh, his gang, absolutely historical, the Abraham Accords. And because President Trump's not in office, the uh, enemies of Israel feel emboldened like the enemies of Ukraine felt emboldened and like the Chinese feel emboldened toward us. Biden gave them the money. The money goes to Hamas from Iran. Do you think this would have happened if Trump was still in office? Not even a chance. No, I don't think that would have happened. No, I do not. I don't think so. No, no way. Never. Why do you think it would be in the Ukraine war either? Very serious. We are in very, very grave danger of having a World War III. And this will be a war. This will be a war of obliteration. This will not be a war with, I say, army tanks going back and forth, shooting at each other. This is the real deal. And we have a man that uh, he, he can't even walk off a stage. He walks off a stage. He finishes a speech. He lo looks. Oh, well, he can't fight. He has no idea. You know, there's always a stair there, a stair here. You could even walk off the front jump or something. Do something. He usually walks to the back into a wall. Yeah, there's a wall there. He walks right into a wall. Can't walk off the stage, can't put two sentences together, and yet he's negotiating with President Xi of China, who, when I say he's very smart, the press, look at, that's a lot of press back there. That's a lot. So for him to negotiate with President Xi of China is like, my high school football team playing the, let's see, what's a good team nowadays? Philadelphia's good. So, you know, they change a little bit. I used to say New England. I used to say the Patriots. I'd, I'd love to be able to say the Patriots. He's a great guy, great coach, but uh, they have a little hard time. But uh, what's going on with the Patriots, huh? But he is, he's a great, he's a great coach. And he'll, fig he'll figure it out somehow. He's going to figure it out. But that was not a good game last night. And by the way, we're going to terminate the Department of Education, if you don't. Fast. Almost the first thing we're going to do. We're going to let local, we're going to let local government, we're going to let the states run education. We're going to let the states run education. You know, we spend more per pupil than any country anywhere in the world. And yet we're at the bottom of the list. We're in number 38. 39 or 40 out of 40 and yet we spend double and sometimes triple per pupil more than any other you have Denmark Norway Sweden China is a top top country can you imagine with 1.4 billion people China is a top country they do a very good job but we don't do a good job so it's like my famous statement that I've made numerous times about lots of different things what the hell do we have to lose right and you move it back to New Hampshire, and you move it back to Iowa and South Carolina and all of these great states, and you'll run your education, and we'll have nobody in Washington except maybe just one person sitting at one desk with perhaps a secretary saying, are you sure you're teaching English? We want to make sure. There are a couple of basics, right? There are a couple of basics. Uh, we began there with uh, man-in-the-street comments from the people in Iowa. Uh, and then uh, excellent comments by President Donald Trump in Wolfsboro, New Hampshire. Uh, I agree with the assertion that Trump now can emerge as the peace candidate. 
uh, is the one candidate uh, who could bring peace uh, in Ukraine. It was uh, President Donald Trump who cut off the Russian oil pipeline. It was President uh, Donald Trump who gave offensive weapons uh, to the Ukrainians. Uh, I believe he has the credibility of everyone uh, in the theater. Uh, and I do think he could uh, he could foster peace. What's amazing to me, Glenn Greenwald, uh, uh, formerly of The Intercept, pointed out this weekend, there are no peace negotiations even happening. We are not even having peace talks. Uh, that is in itself uh, beyond belief. I think uh, that uh, President uh, Biden's candidacy is further weakened by these developments in Israel over the weekend. Any way you slice it, uh, we, uh, Obama has funded both Hamas and Hezbollah, uh, and uh, Biden has very clearly uh, funded Iran, makes no bones about funding Hamas. So despite the fact that we stand with Israel, we appear to be under the Biden administration financing both sides of this fight, and that is immoral. Uh, this issue, once again, I think is going to inure to the benefit of Donald Trump. Let me point out that during the Trump presidency, we had not only no new wars, uh, but President Trump brought back uh, tens of thousands of troops to the United States without the kind of disastrous consequences we saw in Afghanistan. We uh, also, uh, if you're a political junkie, uh, you can't help but uh, notice the fight for the position of Speaker of the House. Um, President Trump evidently favors Jim Jordan of Ohio. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure the president was ready to announce that, but word of it leaked. Uh, here's the difference between uh, a cactus uh, and a caucus. Uh, in the case of a cactus, well, all the pricks are on the outside. Uh, this is a very insular process, uh, and therefore any vote count right now uh, would not be necessarily uh, reliable. What's more important to me uh, is not uh, who the personal identity of uh, the speaker is, but whether the speaker will adhere to the agenda, uh, or I should say the rules, uh, and the agenda that was agreed to uh, at the time that Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker. Uh, McCarthy was elected speaker only because he promised, first of all, to uh, allow for a process uh, which governed the House for over 100 years, uh, in which any member uh, could move to vacate the chair. Uh, it was, until, was not until Nancy Pelosi uh, became speaker that that rule was changed, uh, and it was changed essentially to insulate her from the radical left squad uh, in her own party. Uh, I think Republicans uh, under the leadership of Matt Gates uh, were wise uh, to reinstate the rule that was in place for 100 years because uh, it provides accountability. Um, we, we cannot go back to business as usual. So in the case of Kevin McCarthy, uh, no action on term limits, no action on spending reform, uh, yet another continuing resolution putting a Band-Aid on our spending problems, uh, and then evidently uh, backdoor negotiations about uh, funding the war in Ukraine, a war that I think somewhat like the war in Vietnam 
the American people grow weary of uh, and are beginning to question the goals and purposes of. So um, it's not clear to me uh, what will happen. Uh, this is, as I said, a very inside process. The endorsement uh, of Jim Jordan by President Donald Trump is extremely potent. Uh, uh, I don't know Steve Scalise. I don't think he's a bad man. Uh, but as the deputy to Kevin McCarthy, of course, reflects all the same issue positions uh, as McCarthy. Uh, the fact that Matt Gates says he can support Jordan uh, gives me uh, some comfort. Uh, I really object to the claims by some uh, that Matt Gates uh, took the point on this issue uh, out of a desire for personal publicity uh, or aggrandizement uh, or to uh, get the limelight or to raise money. Uh, when in fact, uh, by taking this principal position, Matt Gates has brought uh, an enormous uh, amount of uh, abuse uh, and attacks on him, uh, but he's a tough guy and he will stand up to those. Um, I had an opportunity uh, to uh, have a quick interview uh, on uh, Online America. Uh, let's uh, roll that for the close. Here now to weigh in on the latest findings into the Biden crime family and this decision in New York regarding Trump's business dealings, our friend, political consultant, Roger Stone, back on the program. Raj, where would you like to begin? The bombshell of the Biden crime family or this bogus ruling saying that Mar-a-Lago is only worth $18 million and that Trump inflated the value of his property? By all means, the floor is yours, sir. Well, Dan, the point, of course, is that these are related stories. Uh, the, the New York decision has a certain Mad Hatter quality to it. In other words, first the verdict, then the trial. <laughs> never given an opportunity to mount a defense. He was never given a jury trial. The judge has just summarily declared him guilty of fraud. Who was damaged? The banks who got paid back in full uh, and made a lot of money in their interest rates? Uh, nobody here has been defrauded. This is a politically motivated judgment, but more importantly, it's designed to blot out the news story of the continuing there you uh, go. revelations regarding corruption uh, by Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Jim Biden, and other members of the Biden crime family. Yep. So uh, since New York state law allows an, uh, an interlocutory appeal, uh, I believe Trump's lawyers will now appeal this egregious decision. I spoke uh, to a pretty prominent South Florida real estate appraiser this morning mm -hmm. who actually came in higher than the guy you spoke to, Dan. Uh, Steve McWilliams told me he thought the property was worth no less than $500 million Wow! because it actually has frontage on both Bo the intercoastal. I was pointing that out. Yes. Yeah. Raj, let me, let me bring that up to just add some more validity to you and I's side because I know what the folks at Daily Beast and CNN and everybody else is going to do with this report we're doing right now. Uh, bring up that Zillow search we did, guys, would you? So I had my team for about 30 seconds today, Raj, look on Zillow, just to show people on Palm Beach, the little island there where Mar-a-Lago is, average property, 30 up to $60 million. But by the way, folks, these properties sit on a quarter to a half an acre and average between 4,500 up to 9,000 square feet. Let me point out what Mar-a-Lago is and Raj can take it from here. Mar-a-Lago sits on 17.89 acres, almost 18 acres. It has 62,555 square feet. 
So if a property next door that doesn't even have oceanfront is worth 60 million, and it's a fraction of the size, land and square footage of the property, and Mar-a-Lago's got intercoastal waterfront and oceanfront, and it's seven to 10 times bigger, then yeah, the judge is corrupt as hell. It's not worth 18 million. And if any idiot out there can't see this, then please don't vote next year. Raj? Well, it's also true that the banks who did the lending uh, had their own attorneys who would have reviewed all of these Great appraisals. Point. This is this is uh, this is an absurdity. It's yet uh, another witch hunt. It's uh, yet another assault, but it's also yet another distraction because the real news mm -hmm. is what's mm -hmm. happening with Hunter Biden. Yesterday, when I answered my front door at two sixteen, I got a subpoena from Hunter Biden's lawyers. What? Uh, this is uh, incredible because they're interested, I guess, uh, based on some conspiracy theory on what I might have known about the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. Let me be clear. Everything I know about Hunter Biden's laptop, I read about first in the New York Post. Then I got more detail uh, at uh, MarcoPoloUSA.org, the nonprofit that has courageously uh, made the American people aware of the contents, and then by following the great reporting here at OAN. So this idea that I conspired with others, Rudy Giuliani or anyone else. Uh, I never heard of the laptop until I read about it in the New York Post. This is law. It's meant to grind you down. It was really meant to do is silence you, Dan, because back in March, Hunter Biden's lawyers wrote me a letter saying that if I mentioned his laptop again uh, and if I didn't apologize, they would sue me. They have no grounds to sue me. The contents of the laptop have been entered in the congressional record by Congressman Matt Gates, They're a matter of public record. Right. I play no role in them becoming public. But at the same time, I believe the process by which they became public, based on everything I've read and heard, is entirely legal. That Hunter left his laptop at a repair shop. Yep. That the repair shop owner, after hearing nothing back, having turned them over to the FBI, gave them to Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who gave them to the New York Post. I believe all of that to be legal. But today... Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, pardon me, Hunter Biden's lawyers are suing Rudy Giuliani and his attorney, Robert Costello, accusing them, in my opinion, falsely of hacking uh, and tampering uh, with the uh, laptop uh, contents. What a joke. Well, then I guess OAN will be next. Wow. Uh, is that a knock on the door? I mean, because Rudy gave us a copy of the hard drive after the store owner called him because he had called the FBI and given it to them months before and nothing came out. And so the store owner went, I think people should see this so they know about Joe Biden and his corrupted family. And the FBI obviously sat on it for how long? A couple years. And then they add validity to it, what, last year? They confirmed its validity. So you've got the FBI saying it's real. The New York Post reporting originally, we received it from Rudy. I've had the gentleman that owned the store, the computer store on, who his life's been ruined by the crazy folks on the left and the Democrats and Joe Biden. He's been on this show a couple times stating, matter of fact, this is exactly what happened. And well, by the way, when you take something to be repaired at his shop, like many stores, Raj, you know as well as I do, you sign a form. And if you don't come back and get your, your item, 120 days, 90 days, whatever the policy is, it becomes property of the store. And then he happened to look, see what was on it, and the rest is history. So this is all political warfare coming after you. What the hell did you have to do with it? Nothing. I simply reported on it. And that is the <laughs> point here. And they want to have a 
chilling effect on our free speech rights, uh, and they want to put a cap on coverage uh, of these issues. Look, the House Republicans now, despite anything Jerry Nadler may say, have absolute evidence of extortion, bribery, racketeering, yes. money laundering, uh, influence peddling, illegal lobbying, and now multi-million dollar uh, uh, wires from Ukraine, from Russia, from China. Joe Biden, to quote him exactly, said no member of his family ever got a penny from China. We now know that that's a bald-faced lie. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep a, a thumb in this dike. I think it's going to bust wide open. But all they're trying to do with this harassment lawsuit uh, and these subpoenas uh, is to chill public discussion of the issue. I have no intention of piping down. It's a public matter. These records are in the public domain, and I will continue to talk about them. God bless you for it, Raj, and so will I. And I'll end the interview with this one. He just mentioned we now have more proof that Joe lied, that his family never profited from the CCP. Put the headline up that broke today. Folks, this is a new report out. It says that James Biden, there he is next to the big guy, Joe Joe's brother, last year, and it takes a year to get this information to you folks, the FBI conducted an interview and he confirmed that him and Hunter, and I'm sure with good old bro's endorsement and help, helped the CCP natural gas company that Hunter worked for purchase a natural gas company on Monkey Island in Louisiana. So, sorry, you lied again, Mr. President, if you are that which I still won't call you that. Roger Stone, as always, we appreciate you coming on the program. Watch Thanks, your Dan. six. They're coming after you just like they are us. You take care of yourself. God bless you, Dan. Many thanks. Yep. All right, our thanks to our friends uh, at OAN. Uh, because today is Columbus Day, I had hoped to have time to outline for you my mother's famous marinara sauce, sometimes known as Sunday gravy. Uh, because we're out of time, you can get a copy of my book, Stone's Rules, Stone's Rules, uh, with a uh, an introduction by my good friend Tucker Carlson. Uh, the recipe is in there, as well as, well, Richard Nixon's recipe for the perfect martini, known as a silver bullet, plus all of the things that I have learned in a 45-year career in the American arena. So check out my book, Stone's Rules, uh, with a uh, very fine introduction by my good friend Tucker Carlson. Uh, you can order it online, again, by going to stonesrulesbook.com. Uh, until tomorrow, this has been The Stone Zone. God bless you and Godspeed. I'm excited to announce that you've all made MyPillow 2.0 a huge success. And with your amazing support, we've been able to expand MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. And to make room for this, we're clearing out a line of our percale bed sheets. And to thank you, I'm bringing them to you at Clothes